This episode of She Explorers is brought to you by Benchmark Maps. Whether navigating through the long road between Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks in western Montana, or the vast openness of West Texas, we want as much reliable information as possible. Benchmark Maps has been field-checking their atlases for accuracy for over 23 years. They drive thousands of miles in each western state to assess road conditions and build the most comprehensive database of recreation points of interest possible. So when you drive down a dirt road, you'll know someone from Benchmark Maps has already driven it themselves. This makes Benchmark Maps a great holiday gift for loved ones and fellow travelers. You'll know you're pointing them in the right direction. Learn more at BenchmarkMaps.com and use coupon code SheExplorers for 20% off your order. That's BenchmarkMaps.com, coupon code SheExplorers. Hi, everyone. Whether this is the first time you've listened to this podcast or the 92nd time, I'd really appreciate your input on our latest She Explores podcast survey. It's been two years since we ran a survey, and I'd love to get a better sense of what you're interested in listening to and who you are. Overall, it'll make the podcast better, I hope. And as an added incentive, each person who takes the survey will be entered to win a Brainstorm National Park puzzle. It's 500 pieces. It's really fun. It has these little drawings of each one of the national parks. It's a great way to spend a rainy afternoon or even a sunny afternoon. (laughs) I've definitely spent a sunny afternoon doing it. And everyone who takes the survey will get a code for 20% off the puzzle. The survey is linked in the show notes and via she-explorers.com. Okay, enough about all this. On to the show. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. I think that we have such weird feelings about the word failure or failing. And even as I was getting off trail, you know, and saying I was quitting trail, so many of the really supportive folks, specifically in my Instagram community who had been so great and supportive the entire time, were so quick to want to rewrite it. It's you're not quitting. You're just making a different choice. It's not a failure because X, Y, Z. And I think that's all really well-intentioned and comes from a good place. But it really made me stop and think, why are we so uncomfortable with the idea of failing something? Because at no point was I saying, I'm a failure because I didn't do this. But at the heart of it, my goal that I set out to achieve was to hike from Canada to Mexico on the PCT. And I failed to achieve that goal. And so, yeah, I, it was, I mean, it was definitely a failure. And also, why is that not okay? This is Nicole Antoinette, writer, speaker, thru-hiker, and host of the podcast Real Talk Radio. We talked about her recent experience hiking the PCT, which she stopped hiking about 1,600 miles south from Canada. Nicole is a fast talker and an equally deep thinker. As she shares late in our conversation, she learns about herself through others, but she also helps other people learn about themselves through sharing her own deeply personal stories. That logic might sound a little circular, but I think symbiotic might be the better word to describe it. One of the special things about Nicole is that she's able to apply the lessons she learns in one area of her life to other areas as well. Nothing is cut and dry. And sometimes a failure is a failure, is an opening. Through hiking isn't something that ever crossed Nicole's mind growing up in Manhattan and London. But in her early 30s, she quit drinking and had a whole lot of time to fill, which led her to long-distance running. I quit drinking in May of 2011, and I quit drinking and started running on the same day. Running was really the way out of the hole for me, and I had never been athletic either. So not outdoorsy, not athletic, was really an indoor kid, liked reading and not doing a lot of physical activity. And so I was really a complete beginner. I could barely run two minutes at a time when I first started and I really poured all my energy into running to just find a way out of drinking and to change my life and wound up being really into the running scene for about four years kind of got burned out felt like 
I was running for the wrong reasons, that I was afraid that if I stopped running that I would start drinking again, which is never, you know, a good feeling that you're doing something out of fear. And so I decided to take a break from running, which I thought would only be a couple weeks. It wound up being more than six months. And It was a really good time for me personal growth-wise and with my sobriety, but I found that I missed having a really physical challenge, like something that got me into my body, that got me outside. And so I was really hungry for something else. And I had never been camping before. I had never been backpacking before. I had done some light day hiking here in Bend, Oregon, which is where I am now. But I wound up reading a book by my now friend, Carrot Quinn, called Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart. Basically, Amazon suggested it to me as a, hey, you liked these books, so probably you'll like this book. And so I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, I read it in winter of 2015-2016 and I thought wow this is so interesting here's like another woman who wasn't outdoorsy and who started getting into this in her 30s and also had no idea what she was doing and she didn't (laughs) die so maybe I could do this too it kind of burst the myth that I had that the outdoors wasn't for me I know Nicole isn't alone in this we see certain images that we don't align with and we get intimidated It can stop us from taking that first step of opening a door. But for every story like Nicole's, there's one like Carrot's and one like yours. Similar, but uniquely your own. Nicole was living in Oregon when she read Carrot's book, and it inspired her to hike the PCT portion that crosses Oregon. So in 2016, I set out to do the 460-mile Oregon section of the PCT by myself. And uh, the day that I started, I had gone car camping once for one night and backpacking once for two nights to test my gear in the month before I left. And that was basically the entirety of my experience, that and researching things on the internet. And it was a hugely transformative experience for me. And I built a lot of resilience and independence and self-reliance and didn't die, which was amazing. (laughs) The next year, Nicole hiked the 800-mile Arizona Trail solo, and this year set out to hike the entire Pacific Crest Trail. Why did I want it? I think a couple reasons. I, in the two previous hikes that I had done, I had gotten so much from it just in terms of what I learned about myself and sort of reinforcing this belief that I can do hard things, which is something that I think about a lot of the value of pushing yourself to do a thing that you don't know that you can do or that you feel afraid that you can't do um, and just kind of letting yourself grow along the way. And so I noticed a difference in how much growth I had between the 800 mile hike versus the 460 mile hike. So I thought, huh, what would happen if I tried a 2600 mile hike? What? you know, unknown things are there within myself to explore. And, you know, there was also just some beautiful places that I wanted to see on the PCT. And so I don't know that I had like one concrete, this is what I want to get out of it. But I was just interested to see what it would be like to do a four month hike. And so, yeah, I was mostly just looking to see what would happen and who I would be on the other side of it. That tends to be my motivation to do a lot of things is growth. That's The thing that I value really above all else is growth. And so this just seemed like a good opportunity to explore that. So so would you say the that value, is that something that started to become more important to you in your 30s after becoming sober? Or when did growth become a value for you? I think it's always been a value for me. I'm someone who is really comfortable with change. Um, I've lived what I think of as a life in a lot of chapters. You know, I did, my my career history is really varied. Um, The places that I've lived, the hobbies that I've had, the things I've been interested in. I'm the kind of person who I, when I love something, I really love it and I go all in. And then when that feeling has passed, it's, you know, put it down and move on to something else. So I think that some of it is just how I've always been. I mean, certainly getting sober and quitting drinking led to a lot more self-awareness and gave me tools and emotional coping mechanisms that I didn't have previously that I think lends itself well to growth just because you're more awake to yourself and to the world. So I think I've probably gone deeper into that and my desire to do what I think of as hard things has definitely come as a result of quitting drinking. I was someone growing up that 
really didn't like things that I wasn't good at, which I don't think is unique. But, you know, if if I tried something and didn't have really a natural affinity for it or wasn't good at it right away, I would often quit and move on to something else. And when I quit drinking and started running, running was really the first thing that I ever started and found that I wasn't good at and didn't quit. And something Mm. about that really changed my life. And I feel like a lot of the lessons that I learned through the lens of running, this idea that you don't have to be good at something in order to keep going. The idea that you can get better, right? It's not a binary state where you're either amazing at it or terrible at it, and that never changes. Um, And also, I think it taught me that you don't have to be in the mood to do something in order to do it. That was a misconception that I always had, especially as someone who hadn't grown up doing a lot of physical activity or being active. I thought, oh, well, if I'm not in the mood to do it, then obviously that's just not going to happen. And learning that lesson has carried over into so many other areas of my life. I think about it in terms of writing. I think about it in terms of work. You know, I don't have to be super inspired to write in order to sit down at my desk and do the work. And I don't know, that's definitely carried over into hiking as well, that the conditions aren't always going to be perfect. It's hot or it's cold or it's raining or there's snow or it feels like it's constantly uphill or you have a 30-mile water carrier. A lot of the things that are the most rewarding I find are very type two fun, right? They're not necessarily fun when Mm. you're doing them, but I feel a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment from it afterward. And that I think those lessons play well into being able to continue to push myself to grow just because conditions don't have to be perfect in order for me to do a thing anymore. You said that you kind of started to break that cycle through running, but can you pinpoint any moments where you were like, this sucks, but I'm doing it anyway? Or like if it was so easy for you before to to not pursue at something that was hard, how how did you break that cycle? Yeah, I think I felt like I didn't really have another choice. So much of my life and my identity was wrapped up in drinking. And I'm not an alcoholic and didn't go through AA or any of that when I quit drinking. And I guess this is like a a good side note that I want to make sure that I say is I think that when we talk about sobriety, that again, it's seen as a very black or white, all or nothing thing. Either you're someone who drinks and that's normal, like normalized by our culture, or you're someone who has, you know, a really extreme problem and therefore you can't drink. And there's so many people, myself included, and so many folks that I've talked to in the last seven years since quitting drinking that fall somewhere in the middle, right? That maybe they don't really love the way that they behave or maybe that they use it as a coping mechanism or that it's just not really adding anything to their lives, but they feel like they can't quit because they don't have like a quote problem. And I think that was a lot of what it was for me. Like it was definitely self-destructive. It was definitely a lot of binge drinking. I made a lot of poor choices, especially with sex and with getting myself into potentially unsafe situations. And, you know, I always thought, well, I haven't woken up in the gutter and, you know, not remembered the last three days. So probably I'm fine. And I was surrounded by so many people that were drinking in the same way that I was. And so it was just very easy to feel like, well, that's what people do when they're in their 20s. And maybe that's the case. And if that lifestyle works for someone, like it's, I'm certainly not here to tell anybody what to do with their life. But I just found like increasingly for me that I just didn't have a lot of self-esteem because I wasn't making a lot of esteemable choices, really. And so in wanting to quit drinking, my biggest fears were social. You know, am I going to lose all my friends? Are people not going to think that I'm fun anymore? And there was just a lot in that that I felt really fearful of. And the only way that I was able to make this change in my life was essentially to transfer obsessions, so to speak, right? Like if Mm -hmm. so much of my life was obsessed with drinking and the happy hour culture and partying and that kind of thing, you know, I think that it's really difficult to remove something from your life without transferring that energy somewhere, right? If I just would have quit drinking and stopped doing all of the social activities and, you know, everything that went along with that, which my life had been for basically my entire adult life, it just would have been this huge gaping black hole that I think I wouldn't have been able to stay sober because it's like making life changes is a lonely thing. And, you know, it's 
often said that people want the best for you and they're going to love you no matter what you do. And I actually don't think that that's true. I definitely lost quite a few friends when I quit drinking for various reasons. And I think that, sure, maybe the people who are really your people, they come through the transition with you. But to paint it as this rosy, just do what's best for you and everyone will come along, I don't think that that's honest. And so for me, running wasn't just a way to spend time and a way to challenge myself and you know endorphins are great like that was it was a great addition but it also gave me a new community i was meeting people who also weren't staying out super late because they were getting up early to run and you know once i started joining running clubs and doing this activity with other people it helped me to feel less lonely in the changes that i was making so i don't know that there was ever a point of you know, I'm now someone who doesn't quit things. Like it wasn't really a conscious decision um, to to stick with it. I just felt this kind of sense of urgency that I needed somewhere else to put my energy and time and to start to build relationships with people who valued the things that I was newly coming to value. And I think without that, I would have had a much harder time making the change. Yeah. So so what was the community like on the PCT? Yeah, I, it was funny. So my first hike when I did the Oregon section, I went northbound during through hiker season. Um, I was a little bit ahead of kind of the main bubble of folks. And so I met a lot of people when I was out there the first time around. But, you know, I was on day one and they had been out there for 17, you know, 100 miles basically. Mm -hmm. And so I would meet all of these people who were really nice to me, um, but they were, you know, at a whole different level of fitness and experience. So I would meet really cool people and then never see them again. You know, they were hiking 30 miles a day. They were hiking really fast, you know, and I was crying on the side of the trail with blisters and I was so afraid and I had no idea what to do. And so it was interesting for me how lonely I felt the first time around while still being surrounded with people. I had really strong imposter syndrome, like, you know, what am I doing here? And I don't even really know how to pitch this tent. And I'm surrounded by people who have been doing this, you know, since Mexico, essentially, for months. And so I definitely had a hard time connecting with people the first time around just because we were doing the same thing, but not doing the same thing. And I think that I just felt so afraid and so insecure, as I think is common when you're doing something that's really outside your comfort zone, that that was a barrier to connection for me because, you know, people could couldn't at that moment really relate to what I was going through. You know, I was on day three and how your body feels on day three of a long distance hike is really different from how it feels on month three. And so there just wasn't as much common ground there. And then when I did my second hike on the Arizona Trail, I also went alone on that one. And when I say alone, I was alone, alone. I went southbound in the fall which is a less popular time to go. And the Arizona Trail is significantly less frequently traveled than the PCT anyway. And in the 800 miles that I was out there, I met two other through hikers, um, but each only for like a day or a day and a half. We leapfrogged, you know, our schedules didn't align. And I would go often, you know, two days, three days, four days. I think the longest stretch was almost five and a half days without seeing any other humans, not even any other hikers, but any other humans. And I, maybe that doesn't sound like that long, three days, four days, five days. But I mean, like I said, I grew up in Manhattan. I'm an extrovert. I host a podcast for a living. Like I, I like need to talk to other people. I need people to listen to my nonsense. And it was such a profound experience to be that alone and to not have anyone to talk to. And it was just like, it was absolutely the loneliest that I had ever been, the most solitude I had ever had, which there were some benefits of, but I also think that solitude at that extreme can be romanticized. (laughs) And I found it was physically painful to be that lonely. So when I chose to through hike the PCT this year, a lot of the choice of the PCT was, huh, I kind of want to do the same thing at the same time as other folks and see if I can have a more social experience. Because friends that I had made who had a lot of long distance hiking experience, so much of what they loved about it and what they raved about was the community that they had found and the friendships that they had formed. And I was interested in that experience. I had learned through doing the Arizona Trail that You know, I didn't want it to be that solo, but I also wasn't interested in kind of the roving party vibe of a traditional northbound PCT hike. It's gotten really popular, um, you know, in the last however many years, increasingly so. And just from what I had heard of uh, from other folks who had done it, I didn't think that 
going northbound was going to be socially the right fit for me, especially as someone who is sober and drinking is a huge part of trail culture. And so I decided to go southbound, which people obviously do. I think, you know, I heard over and over again that this was the biggest year for southbounders, but it's significantly less people that go northbound. So I was hoping that that was going to be a middle ground of, hey, not totally alone, but not, you know, swarmed by people. And I wound up finding an incredible community and making some really good friends and folks that I wound up hiking with for the majority of the 1600 miles that I was out there. So that felt really incredible because that was really what I was searching for. I wanted a trail family. I wanted to have those kind of bonds and, you know, hopefully to meet people who wanted to do the same things. In my off-trail life, I have wonderful friends and family and really none of them are into long-distance hiking or into this kind of thing. And it was just so incredible to meet other people that also wanted kind of have the same kind of adventurous life that I do. So I felt really grateful for that. And it was also just a lot more fun. <laughs> like it's a lot easier to have fun when you have people to laugh with and joke with and have, you know, support and, you know, to be able to turn to someone and be like, oh my God, this sucks so much, right? And when it sucks is just really nice. I asked Nicole about the roles in a trail family and her answer, which was specific to her particular trail family, echoed Christina Frost's spoon analogy in last week's episode. But rather than there being only so many spoons for yourself, it's so much energy in a group. She explains it better than I can. Something that I tried to be really aware of is, this might be a strange analogy, but thinking of the trail family that there was like a communal pot of energy between us. And sometimes you're going to be the one that's having a really tough day for any number of reasons. And you need to like basically scoop energy out of that pot, right? Like you need to pull more from it. Um, But trying to be aware of always trying to add to it whenever possible. And I think that, I don't know if that's like a, a weird description, but thinking of like, you know, the four of us share this communal pot of energy and how can I contribute to it? So maybe for some people, the way they contribute is with humor, right? Being funny, making jokes, like keeping the mood light, especially when things are tough. Maybe someone contributes by being the one who's really good at logistics. So they plan, you know, where we're going to stay at the next town stop or how many days it's going to take to get from here to the next place. And that's something that I'm really good at. Um, Or maybe they're sort of the more emotional support person that, you know, you can talk about all your feelings with and you know any number of different roles in between but I just always try to be conscious of what are my strengths and what hopefully can I add to the group and being aware of when I do need to pull energy from that pot doing it intentionally and being grateful that it's there but not taking too much we'll hear more from Nicole after this I'm going to let you in on a pretty nerdy secret that's related to our sponsor, Outdoor Voices. I promise it's related. My friend and I have been motivating each other from across the country to move in different ways that work for us by sending each other silly selfies of ourselves while we're on the trail or sweaty at the gym. They're the opposite of curated fitspiration, but they're about everyday movement, just like Outdoor Voices, the active apparel company. Outdoor Voices' philosophy is all about integrating fun into everything they do and living happier, healthier lives through daily exercise of any form. So for me, that sometimes takes the shape of long photo walks or hikes or even a kettlebell workout. It's about getting out there and trying. It's not about setting records. And besides the philosophy, Outdoor Voices' apparel is functional and beautiful. The colors are fun and the fabrics are intentional. For example, the Freeform is a cozy and soft material, which is perfect for stretchy activities like yoga. For 20% off your first order of $100 or more, visit OutdoorVoices.com Explorers and use the code Explorers at checkout. That's 20% off your first order of $100 or more by visiting OutdoorVoices.com Explorers and using the code Explorers at checkout. We're back, and I asked Nicole about a fairly recent Instagram post that she shared after the PCT. Quote, the last time I really went clothes shopping was in 2013, which was back when I was running 40 to 50 miles a week and not eating sugar. In the past five years, I've mostly stopped running, switched to hiking, and refound my deep love of baking. And so naturally, my body has changed and grown. And yet my clothing hasn't magically gone up in size. Wouldn't that be an awesome superpower, though? And I've been avoiding buying new clothes for years, literally years. 
So Nicole tried on all of her clothes, and if they didn't fit, she donated them and is slowly growing her wardrobe with inexpensive clothing from thrift stores. So I asked Nicole about this post, and I also asked her how hiking makes her feel in her body. It kind of took realizing, hey, this is what my body's like now, and I deserve to have clothes that fit this body, and I don't have to wait to see if maybe the old clothes are going to fit again or, you know, any of that. I'm really trying to opt out of diet culture and anything that's related to that. Um, Yeah, I think that hiking has helped me to feel like more in my body because it's such a physical experience. You know, in like an off-trail day, okay, I'm sitting at a desk or I'm doing this comfortable thing. Like I don't think about my body as much, whereas on-trail you can't not think about it because you're moving virtually all day and it's your body that's carrying you and it's your body that's carrying all of the things that you need on your back and you're sweating and you smell bad and you're dirty and, you know, everything gets boiled down to these really basic human needs. Like you need water, you need food, you need to rest, you need to poop. Like it's basically that's your life just like over and over again and all of that is a very physical experience that's actually one of my favorite things about long distance hiking is that you have to be really present because there really isn't any other choice like you have to meet your body's immediate needs and a lot of getting off trail for me really was about respecting my body's limitations and I think that that's something that I hadn't really thought of much before this hike and having to quit this hike I'm someone who likes to push myself and like I said really kind of lives that idea that we can do hard things and you know I've found a lot of growth and fulfillment through hard physical challenges it's a, a really easy way for me to grow and it's something that I like and having to quit this trail and failing at the goal of doing the entire hike that I had set out to to do was really humbling for me. And so much of the final decision came from, yeah, my body just can't do this anymore. And having to grapple with what does that mean? And how does that make me feel? And what if sometimes this idea of doing the hard thing isn't the like aggressive, gritty thing that we maybe think that it is, but sometimes the softer option and listening to what's best for you and having to quit something that's no longer the right fit. I think that can be the harder thing. And so it was a good lesson for me in sort of giving myself grace and permission to do that. Did it feel like a failure? Yeah, this is something that I'm really interested in talking about because I think that we have such weird feelings about the word failure or failing. And even as I was getting off trail, you know, and saying I was quitting trail, so many of the really supportive folks, specifically in my Instagram community who had been so great and supportive the entire time, were so quick to want to rewrite it. It's you're not quitting. You're just making a different choice. It's not a failure because X, Y, Z. And I think that's all really well-intentioned and comes from a good place. But it really made me stop and think, why are we so uncomfortable with the idea of failing something? Because at no point was I saying, I'm a failure because I didn't do this. But at the heart of it, my goal that I set out to achieve was to hike from Canada to Mexico on the PCT. And I failed to achieve that goal. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely a failure. And also, why is that not okay? Obviously, I was disappointed. Of course, it doesn't mean that you can't be disappointed when you, you know, have to quit something or fail something. But I wish that it were more neutral almost like to think about failure that, yeah, there was a goal and I failed to meet it. Okay. Right. Like that, that has to be okay. And obviously that comes with a lot of different feelings. I was proud of myself for doing what was ultimately in, you know, my body's best interests. But also I felt a lot of grief and I felt really disappointed and I felt embarrassed and I felt like, you know, what are people going to think? And there's just so much that comes up for us when we deviate from any kind of like publicly stated goal. And Like I'm interested in sort of digging into that more because it's not exclusive to trail or to a physical thing. We've all failed at something. We've all had to quit things or not even had to. Sometimes you just want to. The truth of doing anything new that you haven't done before is that you don't know 
how you're going to feel about it until you're actually doing it. And sure, I had gone on long hikes before, but I had never hiked longer than 44 days. That was how long the Arizona Trail took me. So I had no idea what it was going to feel like to be out there for two months, two and a half months, three months, you know, a thousand miles, 1500 miles. I had no idea. And it's like, you, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that so often if we only want to publicize our successes, right, whether that's on social media or just in general, if we want it to be that everything that we set out to do is a success and has a nice bow wrapped around it and, you know, it goes well, then we only ever take on things that we 100% know in advance that we can achieve. And I think that that leads to for me, what feels like a small life. Because if I only, if I need things to be successful and I need to to look a certain way, then yeah, I'm never going to take on anything where I'm a beginner. I'm never going to do anything that feels impossible or feels truly scary. Or I am going to take on those things and I'm going to push myself farther than I should. I'm going to continue on with something when it's really not in my best interest to do so. And so it was really gave me a lot of time to think about and reflect on that in myself of, yeah, it has to be okay to fail. Because I grew so much, not just through the experience of doing the hike, but of the experience of quitting the hike and I would have never had that experience if I only set out to do a hike that I knew 100% that I could do. As Nicole alluded to earlier, her body made the decision for her to quit the trail. She isn't a great sleeper and her insomnia made the hike unsustainable. What did you think when you set out to do it? Did you leave yourself room for for not completing it? I mean, I knew obviously there's a high rate of failure for long distance hikes. You know, I don't know what the actual stats are, but, you know, I think it's something like maybe one in four people finish or something like that. I mean, I don't know. It's probably the numbers are out there somewhere. But so I knew, of course, that there were plenty of reasons why people don't finish a hike, whether you get injured or it's a money thing or you really miss a partner or friends or something at home or work or, you know, whatever. There's lots of different reasons. Um, So I knew that it was that not finishing was a possibility. I knew that for me, it would probably be a sleep thing, which is what wound up happening. But yeah, I still in the back of my mind thought like, I'm tough. I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. And and people probably don't publicly share those reasons that often, like in a glamorous way, I guess, that gets like uplifted through algorithms. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, again, we there's so much attachment to like the sexy story. Look at me, I did this thing, right? Whatever the thing is. And that's fine. It's not that we shouldn't celebrate our accomplishments and achievements and be proud of those and want to share them. I think that's fantastic. And we should all support each other in those ways. But also, I wish that there was just more talk around, yeah, hey, I tried this thing and it wasn't for me. Whether that's, you know, I thought I wanted to take pottery classes and I wound up hating it or it was kind of a random example but there's just so many different things that you know you're curious about or maybe you want to do and you know we just don't give ourselves permission to do new things a lot of the time and I think part of that is the fear of it not working out or looking silly or just any of these sort of negative connotations that we have with not you know being a quote success whatever that means yeah and um you said that you also tie it to to ego. You know, when you say like looking silly, it's, you know, how you perceive yourself and and how you want others to perceive you. Yeah, it was the I mean, having to quit this hike was a huge ego reckoning moment for me and also having to reckon with as you said, essentially the stories that I tell myself about myself, right? Mm-hmm. That I, I think there's a lot of power in storytelling and I think the most powerful stories that we tell are the ones that we tell about ourselves to ourselves and that that really can make or break a lot of things. And, you know, so for me, really trying to step into I'm someone who is strong and who is tough and who can do hard things and who can do stuff even when she's not in the mood to do it and all of that, you know, grittiness that I really do want to embody and that I do value and that does mean something to me, Um, sort of leaving space to not have it be a one-dimensional story. I think a lot and talk a lot about this goal that I have to live with both grit and grace. And I think there has to be a both and, that it's great to be gritty and to be able to endure and to be able to push through. And also there has to be space for 
backing off and slowing down and taking rest and giving yourself the grace to make a change when something no longer feels like the right fit for any reason. And so this was really having to put that in practice for me that, okay, it's not always the right thing to just push through and push as hard as you can. And I think that that's applicable to so many different things, not just right, like a long physical challenge. And I saw um, a recent post that you did on Instagram, and it feels so silly to refer to Instagram posts, but it is, you know, some insight into to how you were feeling um, post-PCT. But um, it, it, is it grace for yourself to acknowledge that you miss the trail and that it has, that decision has longer term impacts on how you're feeling in the moment? Yeah, I definitely miss the trail. I mean, I certainly didn't get off trail because I don't like hiking. <laughs> you know, I, I, so I basically, I got off trail because I hadn't been sleeping enough and the cumulative impact of sleep deprivation over, you know, what wound up being for me an 87 day hike just was not sustainable. I was just physically feeling horrible and it was getting worse and worse and to the point where I wasn't enjoying myself anymore. And I thought if I keep pushing myself through this, I'm going to ruin hiking for myself. I'm going to wind up hating this. And so getting off trail felt really complicated for me for a lot of the reasons that we have talked about. And because of my ego or just because I was sad or because I missed it and you know I wasn't ready to come back to a lot of the things that I had to deal with when I came off trail. There was a lot there. And so at the time of this recording, I've been home for a little over a month. And yeah, post-trial depression is a very real thing. I mean, depression is something that has been present in my life well before I started long distance hiking, but I was very aware of the reality of that and being prepared for that to potentially be how I felt when I came off trail, especially, I mean, some of it is just physiologically, you go from being outside and having so much vitamin D and fresh air and endorphins of moving your body for 10, 12 plus hours a day to not doing that. And that's just a huge adjustment physically to deal with. And then you lose a lot of what's great about being on trail, the simplicity of walk from point A to point B, don't die, right? That's (laughs) your whole life. Um, And so it was a big transition for me, especially, you know, I had some stuff going on in my relationship and just things that I had to deal with that were hard when I came home that just made getting off trail really fraught for me. And so, yeah, part of the settling in to off trail life has been allowing myself to just feel how I feel. It's fine that I have complicated feelings about it. It's fine that I am sad that I wasn't able to do the whole thing. It's fine that I miss my trail family. It's fine that there's certain parts of my off trail life that I'm really excited and grateful to be, you know, living back in and that there's some parts that don't feel like the right fit for me anymore. And I think a lot of what growth looks like for me these days, sort of circling back to that being a value, is allowing space for seemingly contradictory things to be true at the same time, that things aren't an either or, that they're almost always a both and. It can be the right decision to get off trail and that can still be a painful decision to make. It can feel great to have the comforts of being at home and can feel really emotionally challenging to be at home, right? That I don't have to try to put things into a really tight box. Like I feel you know, just this one way, because I don't, I feel lots of different ways. And I think that's true in other areas of my life. Like I I just popped into my head as an example, a friend of mine is pregnant with her first child right now, and she's both excited and terrified. And, you know, I think that that's true for so many different things. And I think about it in terms of, you know, my goal of building up my business in the next year. There's a lot of things that I feel really passionate about and that I'm, you know, feel a lot of momentum towards. And then there's some things that I'm not sure and that I'm afraid and that I'm questioning myself and that I have self-doubt. And so, I don't know, there's just like something that's really freeing for me to give myself and other people permission to just be more complex, to have multiple things be true. Oh, I respect that so much. Like, I respect the the willingness to share different sides, like the dualities of life. Yeah, because it's so rare that something is 100% good or bad, 100% easy or hard, right? That it's, I think about this a lot, even when I'm hiking, that you know, in let's say a 12 hour hiking day, it's possible. And I've had days where, you know, 11 and a half hours of it are awful. And it's like a complete slog and I'm so miserable and I've cried 17 times and I just don't want to do it anymore. And I'm really grateful at the privilege for being out there. And I do want to stay out there, right? That it's like both are true. I also like what you wrote on that post, um, 
about, and I think about this a lot in terms of my own depression, um, is the, the this too shall pass feeling, like that acknowledgement that other people need to, to see often when they're in the midst of whatever headspace it is that isn't permanent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like so much of what I have learned about life and some of the things that are most helpful for me have come through this process essentially of getting sober, starting to run and then getting into long distance hiking. There's just so many lessons, you know, from one that are applicable to so many other things. And the idea of this too shall pass is so relevant in long distance hiking that eventually it will stop raining. Eventually it won't be as hot or it will, you know, warm up or, you know, you will get to the top of the mountain or it will be, you know, just whatever it is that I'm experiencing that it's, okay that it feels that way and it won't always feel that way sometimes I can like lose acknowledgement of the fact that that's true in off-trail life and so I I need that reminder that yeah you're not walking uphill forever even if it feels like you are eventually you won't and I mean when it comes to depression I think the image that stands out for me so much the worst depression that I ever went through the really one memory that I have of it was that I was unable to make toast it was so overwhelming to me to think, oh my, and I go to the fridge and I get the bread and then I have to toast it and I have to wait and then I have to spread stuff on it and I have to eat it and then I have to wash the dish. Like I literally couldn't make toast. It was just like the most insurmountable challenge. And for me now, making toast is the easiest thing in the world. Right? <laughs> so it's like having to remember that just because something feels a certain way, it won't always feel that way. It was the same thing in early sobriety. I couldn't imagine an entire future without drinking. I couldn't imagine a birthday celebration without drinking. I couldn't imagine going to a wedding and not drinking. And so many of the things that my life was built around at that time, I couldn't imagine it being different. And like that's only true until it's not. Like there is something to be said for just keep going and that sounds maybe too simple but I think about that so much in every area of my life I remember when I was on the Arizona trail and I was struggling and I was having a really tough time and was feeling really lonely and that trail's really hard and that I just thought you know I can't think about making it to Mexico I can't think about you know how many days or weeks are left all I have to do is just not quit today And the truth is, if you don't quit and then you just keep not quitting, eventually you'll get there. And sort of having that juxtaposed against this year when I did quit, sometimes quitting is the best choice, right? So it's not saying don't quit at all cost. Again, the dichotomy. And I think that only you or only each individual person can know when it's better to quit and when it's better not to. And, you know, just like that feeling deep inside of, yeah, this is something that I need to keep pushing through versus no, it's time for me to be done. And both are valid and both are beautiful choices and both lead to growth in different ways. But, you know, it's that just what it is like this too shall pass. Like you just do have to keep going. Nicole's been podcasting since September of 2016. Her Real Talk interviews are just that, real conversations with a diverse range of people that interest her and overlap with Nicole's life in some way, be it through hiking, health and wellness, life hacks, or sobriety. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I asked Nicole what she likes about podcasting, and it was so cool to hear that it's pretty darn similar to what I love about the medium, too. I recently had an interviewee who's going to be on an upcoming episode say that you can't tell other people's stories until you know your own story. But that's not necessarily true for everyone. Sometimes the telling of stories helps you figure out your own. What do you enjoy about connecting with and interviewing people on your podcast? One of the things that I have realized as I have gone through all of these different chapters and all of these different life changes is that the way that I learn the most isn't necessarily by being taught or by learning from experts, not that that doesn't have its place as well, but I have learned so much from listening to other people talk about what's true for them, talking about their lived experiences, talking about, you know, the time that they went through something in terms of mental illness or a relationship or money or sex or any of the different areas of life, hearing other people talk honestly about what's true for them in a way that's not advice-givey or not preachy 
there's something that's really healing for me in that. And I think that comes down to two different things. Because when you hear someone share what's true for them, I think we tend to have one of two reactions. There's either the power of you know, the me too reaction of, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm not the Mm. only person who's ever felt that fear or struggled with this thing or has this kind of insecurity or, you know, whatever. There's that, which feels like a big relief, I think. Or on the opposite side, you know, maybe someone has a lived experience that we can't relate to. And I think that's how we can broaden our perspective and we can learn. And that's how you build empathy, being able to say, oh, huh, I never thought about that because my particular set of intersecting identities doesn't have that experience. And so let me learn what life is like for somebody else. And so for me, I have found so much connection and education and healing through that. And so really, it was a natural progression for me to want to orchestrate those types of conversations and to provide a space where those kind of conversations can happen and not be limited by any type of subject matter. Yeah, I love that. I completely relate to the two things, the two reactions. Um, I I hear most often from people who have the reaction of the me too, but I love that people's own perception of the world is broadened by, as you said, um, someone else's lived experience. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much that you can learn and grow in an echo chamber, right? If you're only ever listening to and following and communicating with people who hold all of your same beliefs and all of your same identities, then yeah, maybe you feel less alone, but I don't think that that's a great place for growth. So at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you look at life in chapters, that you do things in chapters, and you might not have an answer for this, but what would you call this chapter that you're currently in? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like the chapter that I am in currently is a reckoning chapter. Um, Over the past, let's say, year and a half, there have been some big, tough questions that I have been working through in my life. You know, everything from what's the role that I want long distance hiking to play? How much am I going to build my schedule around being able to take, you know, four weeks, six weeks off every year to do that? Um, What do I want my creative work and my business to look like? Um, You know, my husband and I have been having a lot of conversations of what does the future of our relationship look like? And we, we are splitting up, which could be a whole separate conversation. But so really there were a lot of questions in the last year and a half. So I feel like that phase or that chapter was asking the questions and sitting with the questions and right now, maybe reckoning isn't the right word. Maybe reckoning was what I'm just coming out of. I feel like right now that there are answers. It's kind of a foundation building for whatever the next chapter is going to be. It's okay. Now that I know how I feel about long distance hiking, now that I know at least what I want to do next with my business, now that I know that I'm in an uncoupling you know, process with my partner, okay, so what's next? And so really this phase is, yeah, I think starting to lay the foundation for whatever the next chapter is going to look like. Nicole's heading back to hike the 700-mile desert portion of the PCT in mid-March, and she has a lot in store for her business in terms of taking her podcast offline to have real talks in real life. You can follow along with Nicole on Instagram at nick.antoinette and tune into the Real Talk Radio podcast wherever you find podcasts. Nicole's is my recommended podcast for this week. And while I'm starting to sound credity, if you're Nicole, I don't want you to stop listening yet. I collected thoughts from a few of the women we've both interviewed about what makes you such a special interviewer, and more importantly, what makes you a special person. I know you spend a lot of time working hard, and I hope you enjoy hearing from them. First up, Kara Quinn, author of Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart. Hey, Nicole, this is Carrot. I love being interviewed by you because you... It just felt like you'd read so much of my work and you'd thought of such good questions and you were so warm and kind and funny and you made me feel so good. And it just feels like um, your energy is just so warm and wonderful and it seems like you really go out of your way to 
just consume everything that has been produced by the people you're interviewing and just you educate yourself so well about so many different things because there's such a broad range of interviews that you do and then the questions are just great and I just feel like you're an A++ interviewer. It's great and it's awesome and thank you for doing what you're doing. This is Rahawa Hale. Hey, Rahala here. Uh, Gail asked me what I liked about my interview with Nicole, and it's pretty easy. And it's her inquisitiveness. Nicole was interested in taking conversations, places that most outdoor interviewers don't always want to go. Um, and I really appreciated that about her. Um, I really appreciated our tangents. And it made me feel like a well-rounded person, not someone just defined by one feet. And last but not least, Karen Wang. Um, if I learned anything in the process, I think, I think just like seeing how transparent she is with her struggles and journeys in life just really makes me and other viewers or listeners uh, feel really connected and less alone. I think that's kind of the thing that I've been on this week and sharing your vulnerability and the ugly, bad parts about life. I don't know. It just shows that you never know what these people are going through until they talk about it. And um, yeah, it really connects other people to you that had no idea that you were dealing with blank. I'm super proud of her for hiking the PCT last year. And I know that she's had some hard things to go through this year. And I'm just super proud of her. And I'm so glad that she has found healing and just some type of purpose being on trail. And I'm super glad that she's finishing desert next year. And yeah, I've been really enjoying all of her stories and her writing is just so good she pours her heart out but also you know creates some type of you know barrier to also protect herself and I feel like that's so good and so healthy and um I can see how many people relate with her and her journey and um I think she's really great she seems like a really kind and compassionate and loving person maybe one day we will meet I'll link all the episodes they were on in She Explores and Real Talk Radio in the show notes and the episode landing page via she-explores.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Benchmark Maps and Outdoor Voices. All links and codes are listed in the show notes. If you enjoy listening to She Explores, please take the time to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And even better, share the podcast with a friend. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so make sure to tag us so we'll see it. And as I said, my recommended podcast for this week is Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. And if you enjoy She Explores, I know you'll like our sister podcast, Women on the Road. Laura shares honest experiences of life on the road from the women who've lived them firsthand. Last week's episode was one of my absolute favorites. I won't give anything away, but it touches on sustainability as well as why we can't ignore color when it comes to travel. Join us in our She Explores podcast Facebook group. It's where listeners of the show can connect with guests. It's where you can ask questions that you have about outdoor stuff. Um, and it's where we talk about some of the bigger themes that we cover in these episodes. Music is by Kay Angle and Josh Woodward using a Creative Commons attributions license. We'll be back next week. But until then, have fun out there. <laughs>